It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. We got a lot to get to today. Taking feedback from all of you, I've uh, beefed up the wild coverage today. I probably would have done it anyway, but gotten some good feedback lately that maybe people would like a little bit more wild coverage and maybe a little less wolves coverage. Sorry. We are also going to get to the wolves at the end of the show, but uh, the bulk of the show will be me talking to wild beat writer Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune, talking about just kind of an interesting dynamic with this year's team, Um, you know, falling out of the playoff mix just for a little while, but it feels like this is a team that's going to be around until the end of the regular season fighting for a playoff spot and that they kind of know their identity at this point. So Sarah and I will talk through some of those things, some of the Matt Dumba stuff with him being a healthy scratch lately. And, um, you know, look like looking ahead maybe to the trade deadline and what the team might do there. Like I said, some Wolves stuff. Wolves beat, uh, Wolves beat the Pelicans last night. Go figure. A couple nights after losing to one of the worst teams in the league, they beat a team that's been above them in the standings for most of the season. That is the way it goes for the Wolves. I'll get into that a little bit. Uh, some Gopher basketball stuff. They lost again. One positive to emerge from that. I'll get to that in a minute. First, though, what did I miss? Let's talk about NFL awards for a little while and a little bit of good and a lot of bad for the Vikings. And maybe maybe a lot of good and a lot of bad. Maybe well, let's let's preface it. Um, the good, obviously, Justin Jefferson getting a ton of um, respect here, being an NFL uh, MVP, one of the five finalists for NFL MVP, um, which is huge, right? Um, you know, wide receivers just don't win these awards, and it's a long shot still that he would win this award when you got guys like Patrick Mahomes in the mix, a uh, very much odds-on front runner to win. Usually these things go to quarterbacks, right? Adrian Peterson, the last non-quarterback to win, and he, he had to nearly break the single-season rushing record in 2012 and will the Vikings into the playoffs with Christian Ponder as his quarterback. So these things just tend to not happen for non-quarterbacks. But Jefferson, you know, had an amazing season. You know, had like 120 some catches, 1,800 yards. Um, it just a continuation, building on the first two years of his career with a stellar third season, and uh, and really launching himself not just into the conversation for best receivers in the game. I think Justin Jefferson's the best wide receiver in football right now, and you can make an argument for other people, but I think Jefferson is that guy. And the awards show it first, you know, United, he was a unanimous uh, first team all pro this year and a finalist not only for, for MVP, but for offensive player of the year. Now, on the flip side, who is the coach of the Vikings who helped Justin Jefferson, who schemed Justin Jefferson into the position where he could have that kind of season? Who is the head coach of the Vikings? and the offensive mastermind who took a team that underachieved massively in 2020 and 2021. Okay, maybe massively is an overstatement, but there was enough talent on those teams to make the playoffs, at least, at least one of those seasons. So you can say that those two teams, out of them, one of them should have made the playoffs. That's an underachievement. Who is the coach who took over that, that team with a lot of the same players and took it from underachieving, took it from 7-9 and nine in 2020, 8-9 and nine in 2021, brought that team, which had expectations, again, of being about a 500 team, and took them to a 13-4 and four record in his first season as Vikings coach. Who was that again? That's right, that was Kevin O'Connell, who is nowhere near 
the list of NFL Coach of the Year candidates. The NFL put out their list of three. He's not on it. The AP put out their list of five. He is not on the list of five. Even more galling. I'll get to this. I'll read the list of five for the AP first. Giants, Brian Dable, Bill Sean McDermott, Jaguars, Doug Peterson, 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, Eagles, Nick Sirianni. I don't necessarily have a quibble with any of those guys specifically. I think it's a tough year for coaches, a lot of good coaches deserving. Doug Peterson took the Jaguars to the playoffs. So did Brian Dable with the Giants. I mean, all these teams are playoff teams. Some of them approved a lot, but Kevin O'Connell should be in the final five. I don't know who he replaces exactly, but Kevin O'Connell did one of the five best coaching jobs in the NFL this season. Now, one thing that particularly caught my eye was SI did a list of three coaches snubbed in the voting. Kevin O'Connell couldn't even get on that list. They listed Pete Carroll, Dan Campbell, and uh, Mike Tomlin, a bunch of guys who had okay seasons. I think all those teams went 9-8 and eight this year. We're happy for them. That's nice to, to overachieve and be barely over 500. What about overachieving and being 13-4, and four, having the division wrapped up basically at the midpoint of the season, blowing expectations out of the water. And yeah, you can say, yeah, well, they were 11-0 and in one-score games. That's not sustainable. Yeah, they were, you know, they were their point differential for the year was basically flat. What are you going to do about that? That means he was an even better coach, right? He squeezed that much out of this team. He squeezed a 13-win season out of a team that realistically should have won 9 or 10 games, that had the talent to win 9 or 10 games, that had the talent to be a playoff team this year, but was certainly not a 13-4 and caliber team. Kevin O'Connell, that is coaching to a certain degree, instilling a culture, instilling the confidence in your players to win those close games. That is what he did this season. I just, I again, snubs and whatever, that's all subjective. It, it makes for you know, a very quick news cycle discussion, and this will all be forgotten fairly soon. Nobody even remembers who won Coach of the Year last year, I'm sure, except for that coach and his family. It's not that big of a deal. What I'm saying is this. This tells me that that, that there's some disrespect going on for, for the job Kevin O'Connell did this season. Maybe people are dismissing it because, like I said, they won a lot of close games and they don't think that's sustainable. Maybe they're saying some of these other coaches did a better job. Maybe they just don't, you know, maybe they just overlooked him. I don't know. I don't know whatever it was. This is disrespectful. Kevin O'Connell belonged on that list of five. He did one of the five best jobs in coaching this season, and it's it's really too bad because he is the one who, you know, in addition to Justin Jefferson having a massive, massive amount of talent, helped Justin Jefferson get to that next level where he is now an MVP candidate. I just don't get why the coach who got him there isn't also a coach of the year candidate. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Good to have Sarah McClellan back on Daily Delivery. Covers the wild for the Star Tribune. For all of you guys who complain that I only talk about the Timberwolves, this is your chance. We're talking more wild this week, talking with Sarah right now. Um, Sarah, three losses in a row, not necessarily all of them created equally. I thought they played pretty well against Tampa Bay the other night, but still didn't get any points out of it. <clears throat> and it feels like, you know, we're 46 games into their season, more than halfway. It feels like we definitely have seen an identity emerge of this team where <clears throat> if they're going to win, it's going to be more of you know, the 3-2, 4-2 variety instead of the 5-4 variety. And 
that said, they're still, you know, right on the fringes of the playoff race. They're, they're, you know, they woke up you know, Wednesday morning out of that picture, technically, even though they've got, you know, maybe some games in hand on, on some teams. It just kind of feels like whatever they're going to do this season, it's almost like they got to do what they do, but a little bit better. Is that kind of how you would, would analyze kind of where they're at right now in their season? Yeah, they seem to be really primed, obviously, for a reset and to get back to their style of game. I, I think there's probably been pockets of that. Uh, you can look you know, back at their last road trip, which opened with kind of a textbook win for them at Washington, more in tune with their style of play, their blueprint for success. Uh, but it just didn't consistently obviously hold up through the rest of that road trip with three straight losses, which hasn't happened a lot this season. This is the first time they've dropped three straight games in regulation since the first three games of the season. And you can look at some of the scores and, you know, 5-2, 5-3, and, you know, maybe point it, you know, into their defensive zone and, Obviously, that's a big part of their identity, but I really think lately they just haven't been able to get the scoring that they need at even strength at five on five. And I think that's probably a big issue right now. You know, looking at the last two games, you know, there was no scoring uh, at five on five at even strength in either of those losses at Florida or at Tampa Bay. It's been special teams play. Obviously, the last goal against the Panthers was when the goalie was pulled. So it was a six on five type of situation. And, you you know, that lack of production, I think, is is being, you know, really the difference lately um, since they're still getting, you know, that steady goaltending. They're still getting that lifts from special teams, which was obviously highlighted as a big area that needed to improve this season. The power play is chipping in. The penalty kill is chipping in offensively, too. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, they're being tested quite a bit. Um, there's been quite a few penalties lately. But still, I just think that five-on-five five even strength scoring is obviously an area that will need to improve uh, for them to kind of recalibrate and get back to their identity, which is, I think, opportunistic scoring. It is taking advantage of power plays. And it is, you know, maybe that occasional shorthanded breakaway goal. Uh, but it's still being steady at even strength. And I think that's obviously, um, you know, a big part of how they'll need to turn this around and get back on a winning track, especially before this upcoming bye week and all-star break. I mean, so with that said, I mean, they've had a lot of different iterations of the lineup, a lot of different call-ups along the way. Uh, it feels like, you know, at a certain point, they've been closer to, to full strength. Would you anticipate if, if the scoring challenges continue, what 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 lineup changes, what levers can Dean Dean Evison and and Bill Guerin pull to try to get this thing going in the right direction? Yeah, it's really I guess lineup juggling is probably the, you know the first first look is you can try to change and mix up the lines, but you know I know when they've been at their best, that consistency has been a big part of that, and you know I know they you know they want that consistency and predictability. Um, but if something isn't working, you know, I, I think it's just human nature to try to juggle it and try to make some switches. Um, you know, you can look to the top line. Does maybe somebody else get a look up the middle, you know, with Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello, since that's probably been one of the most, um, you know, positions experimented with this season. Obviously, Sam Steele has played um, very steadily there, you know, over the last few months. But 
maybe that's something that that can change. And um, you know, you look at who is producing lately. You know, Yul Eriksson has been has been consistent. I think you know, having said that, still Kaprizov has been involved, um, especially on the power play. Um, but really, when the Wild has been rolling, it's it's been that secondary scoring. It's been that depth boost as well. And so, again, this is a team that's built to have, you know, four lines, three defensive pairings, two goalies, obviously activated and engaged. And I think they're just a little off with that and, and getting that production, um, you know, all over the ice, which, like I said, when they've been playing well and picking up points, um, somebody has provided that on a nightly basis. It hasn't always had to have been, you know, Kirill Kaprizov or Matt Zuccarello or, or Joel Eriksson Um, So maybe there'll be some juggling, some tweaking um, to try to reignite that spark. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and again, it's, you know, it's their, like you said, their first three game losing streak of the whole season. So it's certainly not time to panic. There's going to be a lot of ebbs and flows, I'm sure in, the Western Conference playoff race before, you know, the final 36 games are done. You know, that said, I think one thing that <clears throat> you've heard Dean Evison fairly consistently, um, you know, I would say grumble about necessarily, but something that's been a concern of his, I think, are those penalties. And they had, I think they gave five power plays to Tampa Bay. And it wasn't necessarily the the difference in the game. They, they only gave up one goal and then they actually got a shorthanded goal in that game too. But if you give good teams too many chances like that, that's that's going to happen. How, how do they how do they clean that up? And how do you, how frustrated do you think Dean is with you know, especially some of the, the the less you know competitive penalties, the kind of the the ones that might fall under mental mistakes? It's been very noticeable lately just how often the Wild has been going to the penalty box and putting the opposition on the power play and. They haven't always resulted in goals, obviously, but I think they've been momentum shifts and changes. And um, really, you know, in most cases, like I said, the team has scored shorthanded, but it's usually two minutes that the Wild can't be on offense and they're just protecting their own net. And, you know, when it's, you know, one goal game or one play that makes a difference, that time adds up. And so I think it's just kind of resetting, you know, with discipline and making sure that they're not putting themselves in a position to, you know, even take a penalty that can really be costly. Obviously, you know, there's battles and, 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 you know, penalties and fractions mistakes happen, but just the margin for air right now, it's just that slim, I think with this team and trying to climb out of this rut that I think that attentive attentiveness has to be there. And you know, on the flip side with their power play too, um, they see it, you know, you can see that momentum change, you can see them get pressure, um, get opportunities. That's what they're serving up to these other teams when, you know, like in the Carolina game, the Hurricanes had seven power plays and no, they didn't score seven times, but they scored twice. And, and the other goal was obviously, uh, you know, another special teams goal in there that really played played a difference in that game. So it's game management, it's focus. It's like I said, that attention to detail, it's really all the factors that this team really underscored at the beginning of the season of what they wanted to fix coming out of that first round playoff loss to the blues. Um, Just that readiness. And, you know, now is the time to show it, you know, have they made strides? Have they improved? Are they managing and playing these games to win rather than lose and set themselves up, you know, with the habits 
that ultimately prevail in the postseason. So this is going to be a really telling time for the team, not only to see how they respond, you know, can they stop this losing streak at three games? If, you know, if not, this will be the first time they would have dropped four games in a row if they don't win on Thursday against Philadelphia, but just overall setting a tone for how this team will come back out of this break that's coming up. Um, I think it's going to be really key. And a lot of that, you're right. It does stem with this discipline and playing the right way to, to give themselves a chance to compete. And obviously, you know, play at five on five, get better at five on five. Um, because like I said, that's going to be, I think, key for this team moving forward. Discipline and playing the right way. Was that um, was that a big piece of why Matt Dumba was scratched a couple times lately? Or what what's the what what's your take on or, or your reporting on what uh, what was the re- what was the story for for him? And he was obviously back in the lineup against Tampa Bay, so it wasn't permanent. But uh, there were two games where he was a healthy scratch there. Yeah, he returned obviously Tuesday at Tampa Bay after sitting two games in a row as a healthy scratch. And Coach Jamie Evison didn't get into specifics to elaborate, you know, why Dumba was scratched, but he did make it clear it was play based. It was based on performance. And if you just look back then to the game right before he sat out, it was that Tuesday game at Washington. There were a few plays I think that stood out for him, you know, especially the first goal you know, for Washington, he was on the ice for there's breakdowns, obviously mistakes happen. Um, But, you know, it's part of the business too. I think just that, you know, that accountability factor, I think what's probably important to remember too, is that the wild is healthy and they had a reserve available in a veteran in Alex Goligoski. So if Goligoski wasn't there, would, would Dumba sit out and, you know, would they make this point? Um, to obviously make a, a point about his uh, about his play and where his game is at. I, I think obviously, like you said, he's back in there now. Um, I Regardless, I think he's going to be an interesting player to keep an eye on over these next few weeks, where his game's at, how he helps the Wild, but just overall is, is he potentially, you know, in the final few weeks, months of his, of his tenure with the Wild. He's obviously has unrestricted free agency coming up. He's in the last season of his contract. Um, is he someone the team moves before the trade deadline? Does he stick around? Um, you know, he's obviously been a pillar on this blue line for years and years. And I think is someone that has just become synonymous with this wild team. Um, so I think this just kind of adds to what will be probably, you know, a, a situation worth keeping an eye on, obviously, over these next few months to see what happens with him and his future. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to watch that just because he's been such a mainstay here. He's, he was someone who... You know, I, I feel like he's I feel like he's still young, even though he isn't just because he, you know, he, he's been here for, you know, he's he's been part of this. He's been kind of one of those surviving members of of the core. And when when those guys stick around, it feels like, oh, yeah, they came up when they were young and they, they're going to stay forever young. But he's not. And like you said, heading into unrestricted free agency, what do you do? Do you do you trade him? Do you try to upgrade at another spot, especially if you like six other people on the blue line maybe they were getting a little bit of a peek at that when he was out as well they lost both those games i wouldn't necessarily say it was because he was out um sarah a couple more things for you one uh if we if we had talked seven to ten days ago it probably would have been a much more optimistic outlook so i don't want to you know go all negative on 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 the uh, on the wild right now felif gustafson one of the uh, 
one of the big stories lately had that has had that run of you know 10 12 games where his you know goals against average was minuscule safe percentage way up there really kind of becoming kind of a 1a 1b situation with Mark Andre Fleury at least during that stretch what do you think that's done for this team and their outlook for the rest of the year yeah, it's obviously, I think, solidified a position that obviously to end last season, um, you know, there was uncertainty and, you know, there, there too kind of obviously was a tandem in place there with Cam Talbot and Marc-Andre Fleury. But um, to have Gustafson come in, I, I think he's probably been become the poster boy for a fresh start and taking advantage of it. Obviously he'd been with the Ottawa organization um, a lot of time in the minors, but to get a chance here to come in and play minutes and merit more minutes, you know, I think obviously that only bodes well for the team. He's still young in his career. Um, and I think him and Fleury have really kind of complemented each other because they're very different styles. You know, if you watch, you watch obviously Mark Andre Fleury, um, very aggressive. You saw that even in the Tampa Bay game recently. You know, coming <laughs> right. out challenging the breakaway, and um, you know, you see all the highlight reel saves, and and that's just him. Like that's in his hockey DNA. Whereas I think when Gustafson is locked in, it's it, he's very economical in his movement. Um, he kind of reminds me of like right place, right time. You want to be where the puck is going to go and you don't have to react. You can just have the shots hit you. And I think a lot of that is technique based and based on his upbringing in the sport and how he was trained. And it's effective, both obviously, both styles have obviously been effective. But I think in time, as you've seen him play more games, the Wild has obviously built that trust with him, can read off of him. And he's dealt results. I mean, the numbers really speak for themselves. Um, you know, where his stats rank, where his save percentage ranks. Um, he's been extremely effective. And I think to have two goalies locked in and able to play um, is really helpful because I think that's the way the game has trended. It's the, the days of, you know, a clear-cut hierarchy and a starter and a backup and one goalie plays 65-plus games those days just don't seem to, you know, exist much anymore. I, I think, you know, the, the schedule is, is grinding and it's tough and the teams are tough and it's, it's a difficult league. It's a challenging league to win in and play. And so to have balance and depth and net, I think it's become more of, you know, a key for the teams that really have success, can play, you know, the regular season, a long playoff run. So if that's obviously what the Wild is preparing for, having two goalies engaged and available, especially the second half of the season, could really set them up for success, you know, in those later months as they're making their push to, you know, lock up a playoff spot and then obviously move on. Let's finish up there with the, with a thought. Like, what do you think, what do you think they think of themselves and specifically Dean Evison and, and, uh, and Bill Guerin? Is this, a, is this a, a instance where you feel like they think they're, you know, a move or two away or, or, or a streak away from being a real, well, playoff contender this season, or is this a, a, a year of transition where we might not see a whole lot of trade deadline movement, might not just might not see a whole lot of, you know, kind of going forward? Or, or what, what do you think their self-scout would be right now after 46 games? This is a quality team. And, you know, if you look back through December and, and when this team was rolling, 
um, you really saw this team's strength and, and it really is an all over the ice kind of steadiness. It, you know, the goaltending has been there. The defense has been, you know, steady. You know, this is a team that, like I said, when they were on their tear, um, you know, only giving up a goal or two a night. And then the offense really stepped up too. And they were scoring three or four a night. And that's how you win. That's how you win four, two. That's how you win three, one. Um, so I think that, base is there. I think that foundation is there. I think they've accepted and learned how they need to play to win, which is different than last season. Even though there's so many familiar faces from last season, this isn't last season's team. And and so I think that understanding is in place. Now, you know, as looking at the trade deadline, I think it's, it's they're going to be fascinating to watch. I I really think they're going to be an interesting team to keep an eye on because they do have some money. They do have some flexibility for this season, but then obviously there isn't much flexibility after the season. So is this a team that sacrifices for probably a bona fide rental? And what effect does that have on the chemistry, the lineup? You know, this is a team now that it's at full strength. And, you know, some players who have had an impact this season, like Mason Shaw, are a healthy scratch. Or Alex Goligoski, who is, you know, has been an effective veteran hockey player in this league for a number of years. So what effect does that have? And I think that's going to be the big question, especially, you know, can they get back to the way that they were playing, like I said, at the end of November into December? Because when all facets of their game are clicking, they, they've been very difficult to beat. They've been effective. They picked up points. I think when they lean into who they are, they've been very successful. So is there a move out there that reinforces that? Is there a move out there that brings in some more offensive help? Um, You know, in regards to Dumba, he's still a top four defenseman in this lineup when he plays. So if he leaves, that's a big hole unless, you know, someone comparable comes back and fills that hole, you know. So I I really think they're going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, if, if they can stay around this playoff race, you know, you never know what happens. And so I think, they probably have learned from the experience of last season, the players that are back um, learning what it takes to win in the playoffs. So I think it's like, we'll see, like we'll see now really has this team made strides. They're competitive. They're in this race. You know, they've been in one of those top three seeds of the division for a long time now, just until recently falling out. So, you know, is that the true Minnesota wild? Can they build off that? Um, but like I said, I think they've proven they can, but can they do it consistently enough to be a team that teams might be afraid to play come playoff time? Indeed. And once they get to the playoffs, one guy that could be a factor is Ryan Reeves. He was acquired earlier this year. Sarah, you are scheduled to have an Instagram live session with him, 1230 p.m. on Friday, if I'm not mistaken. So watch for that, everybody. Good luck with that, Sarah. And uh Yeah, appreciate it as always, and uh, good luck with the rest of the year. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Good catching up with Sarah. I like talking hockey. You guys, you know that. I I grew up. uh, I grew up in North Dakota. Hockey was the thing. I never played, you know, organized hockey, but I was down at the rink all the time playing pickup. Like I love, I love the game of hockey. Love the sport of hockey. I just have a hard time sometimes getting into some of the minutia of the wild because sometimes 
you know what? They're just they've kind of been a flat line team over the years. But this year's team got some drama, got some intrigue. We'll see where this season takes us. And Sarah McClellan obviously is great at breaking it all down. I'm sure I'll have her on uh, several more times before this season is over. Let's finish with the cooler dueling narratives from the basketball world on uh, on Wednesday night. The Wolves beat the Pelicans. Like I said at the jump couple nights after they lose to the Rockets, one of the worst teams in the NBA. The Rockets had lost 13 in a row. Wolves all but admitting after the game that, yeah, they have a hard time getting up for a team like Houston. They have a hard time focusing against the worst teams in the league. They're 4-6 and six against the four worst teams in the league. So go figure. They play the Pelicans, who are on a slide, don't have Zion Williamson, but, but still above them in the standings, still playing at home. That's a team that's a tough beat, and they go out and, do, they go out and get it done. Anthony Edwards has a great game. Rudy Gobert contributes in a big way. D'Angelo Russell hits some big shots. Kind of the formula you want from this team. And uh, Jaden McDaniels with some clutch buckets in the final few minutes as the Pelicans tried to rally. So there you have it. Human nature, I guess, is part of how you would explain this, right? It's immaturity, but it's also human nature. It is hard to, you know, give that maximum effort against a team that's not as good, right? it's, It's human nature to slough off a little bit when it is not the situation where you think, I've got to give 100% attention here. We've all done it in life. What's frustrating is that the Wolves keep doing it over and over and over again. They don't learn their lesson. They don't. They, they have been incapable so far of changing their nature. We'll see if they can change it over the final you know, 30, 32 games of the season. They are exactly 25 and 25 now at this point. Gophers men's basketball lost another close one to Indiana. No uh, no Dawson Garcia in that game. The good news, Jamison Battle finally finally showed up to the party. He's been hurt. He's been trying to find his way. He had 20 points, a very good game for him. So if they can ever get him and Dawson Garcia healthy and going at the same time, maybe the second half of the year will be a different story for a team that just has the one Big Ten win at this point. I'm going to say they're going to win three or four in the back half of Big Ten play. That will do it for me today. Hope you enjoyed everything today, including all the hockey talk. Tomorrow, a lot of Twins talk expected. Twi- uh, Twins beat writer Phil Miller should be joining me. Want to talk to him about the offseason. Want to talk to him about Joe Maurer, who will be on the Hall of Fame ballot next season. What does he think about Joe Maurer's Hall of Fame credentials? That'll do it for me. Like I said, back at it again on Friday. <laughs>